This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rebecca Dittman, Liverpool, United Kingdom. Web address mercurialspirit.co.uk From October to Brest-Litovsk by Leon Trotsky Chapter 8 the inevitability of the struggle for power. The Petrograd Soviet was not silent. It demanded the immediate transfer of all power into the hands of the Soviets in the capitals and in the provinces, the immediate transfer of the land to the peasants, the working men's control of production, and immediate opening of peace negotiations. So long as we remained an opposition party, the motto, all power to the Soviets, was a propaganda motto. But as soon as we found ourselves in the majority in all the principal Soviets, this motto imposed upon us the duty of a direct and immediate fight for power. In the country villages, the situation had grown entangled and complicated in the extreme. The revolution had promised land to the peasants, but at the same time, the leading parties demanded that the peasants should not touch this land until the Constituent Assembly should meet. At first, the peasants waited patiently, but when they began to lose patience, the coalition ministry showered repressive measures upon them. Meanwhile, the Constituent Assembly was receding to ever remoter distances. The bourgeoisie insisted upon calling the Constituent Assembly after the conclusion of peace. The peasant masses were growing more and more impatient. What we had foretold at the very beginning of the revolution was being realized. The peasants were seizing the land of their own accord. Repressive measures grew. Arrests of revolutionary land committees began. In certain Uets districts, Kerensky introduced martial law. A line of delegates who came on foot flowed from the villages to the Petrograd Soviet. They complained that they had been arrested when they attempted to carry out the Petrograd Soviet's program and to transfer the estate holders' land into the hands of the peasant committees. The peasants demanded protection of us. We replied that we should be in a position to protect them only if the power were in our hands. From this, however, it followed that the Soviets must seize the power if they did not wish to become mere debating societies. It is senseless to fight for the power of the Soviets six or eight weeks before the Constituent Assembly, our neighbours on the right told us. We, however, were in no degree infected with this fetish worship of the Constituent Assembly. In the first place, there were no guarantees that it really would be called. The breaking up of the army, mass desertions, disorganization of the supplies department, agrarian revolution, all this created an environment which was unfavorable to the elections of the Constituent Assembly. The surrender of Petrograd to the Germans furthermore threatened to remove altogether the question of elections from the order of the day. And besides, even if it were called according to the old registration lists under the leadership of the old parties, the Constituent Assembly would be but a cover and a sanction for the coalition power. Without the bourgeoisie, neither the SRs or the Mensheviks were in a position to assume power. Only the revolutionary class was destined to break the vicious circle wherein the revolution was revolving and going to pieces.
the power had to be snatched from the hands of the elements which were directly or indirectly serving the bourgeoisie and making use of the state apparatus as a tool of obstruction against the revolutionary demands of the people. All power to the Soviets, demanded our party. Translated into party language, this had meant, in the preceding period, the power of the SRs and Mensheviks, as opposed to a coalition with the liberal bourgeoisie. Now, in October 1917, the same motto meant handing over all power to the revolutionary proletariat, at the head of which, at this period, stood the Bolshevik party. It was a question of the dictatorship of the working class, which was leading, or more correctly, was capable of leading, the many millions of the poorest peasantry. This was the historical significance of the October uprising. Everything led the party to this path. Since the first days of the revolution, we had been preaching the necessity and inevitability of the power passing to the Soviets. After a great internal struggle, the majority of the Soviets made this demand their own, having accepted our point of view. We were preparing the second all-Russian Congress of Soviets at which we expected our party's complete victory. Under Dan's leadership, the cautious Shedits had departed for the Caucasus, the Central Executive Committee attempted to block in every way the calling of the Congress of the Soviets. After great exertions, supported by the Soviet fraction of the Democratic Assembly, we finally secured the setting of the date of the Congress for October the 25th. This date was destined to become the greatest day in the history of Russia. As a preliminary, we called in Petrograd a Congress of Soviets of the northern regions, including the Baltic Fleet and Moscow. At this Congress, we had a solid majority and obtained a certain support on the right in the persons of the left SR faction, besides laying important organizational premises for the October uprising. End of chapter 8